We are now in part three of our series, Prove It. And last week, we talked about what it means to be truly wise, to be truly wise. We found out it wasn't as much about how old we are as it is about how willing we are to build our life, everything, on Jesus Christ. And to allow our roots, our spiritual roots, to not be shallow, but to go down deep into Him. So deep that it taps into His nature, and His nature, like gushing water, comes flowing up and flowing out and affects the people around us. That is faith in action, and that is true wisdom, living our lives that way. Now, I want to do a quick review of, of this four-chair illustration. We've, we've done it every week. I'm not going to reference it as much this week, but I still want to keep this in your head. Because discipleship and spiritual growth, the key to it is movement. Continuous, not getting satisfied and comfortable where we are in Christ, but continually pushing and growing and moving. So those of you who have been here, I want to get your help with the chairs. These, these represent... Every single person in the room, you're sitting in one of these chairs, metaphorically, of course, and in, in, in every single person is represented. The first chair is what? The seeker. You may be here this morning and you've not really bought into the Word of God completely, um, into Jesus, into Christianity, and, but you know there's something more. You know there's something to this thing. You know there's something bigger than you. And you have this void in your life and you've tried to fill it with everything and nothing's worked. The reason you have a void is because you were created that way. And the only thing that's going to fill that void is the very spirit of the living God. That's the only thing that will fill that void. We, we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff, some of it destructive, that has a tendency to ruin our lives. We've all made those mistakes and some of you have maybe come out of a season of that. But that's the seeker. And I want to tell you, you are welcome here. And you, we are so thankful that you are here. And we're just, just, just keep on coming. Just keep on coming. Keep on seeking. And you know what he said? The Bible says that he will open the door to those who seek. And he will reveal himself to those who continuously seek him. And God will reveal this whole thing to you. And I'm just continuing to keep coming. Now from here to here we have the the believer. This person has given their heart to the Lord. They received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, began a personal walk with Him. To pass from here to here is to pass from death unto life. You can't be any more saved than you are in this chair right here. And the cost for this was the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Sola fide, faith alone. We cannot get from here to here by ourselves. We can't work for it. We can't be good enough for it. We can't give enough in the offering. We can't go to church enough. Only Jesus. Come on. Somebody say only Jesus. Amen. So we go from believer to what? The servant. I'm telling you what, y'all. Talk about doing my heart good. We had 40 servants of God here yesterday working in the basement. And man... It was unbelievable. We had the church work day yesterday. Right below us, if you don't know, is a complete basement that is just the same size as this. And it was full of junk, okay? Just full of stuff, and some of it heavy. You know, we had props in there from eight, nine years ago from the Christmas play. You know what I'm talking about? If you've been in church a while, you know the church basement. Anyway, so we just had, it was full. And we're going to be 
renovating that for the glory of God for our young adults and our students. But man, wait, that stuff had to go. And it had to be, you saw the dumpster out there, and, and there, that was just one dumpster. There was another one. Yes. And, so, and a lot of people took some stuff home. Anyway, it took a lot of people working very hard to get that done, and I appreciate it. It's serving God. But you know what Jesus said? If you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. I'm sure that the people that came yesterday wanted to be somewhere else. I did. I know. I'm, hey, I'm always a little bit honest. Hey, I'm just telling you. Is that all right? Deny your flesh, deny yourself, take up your cross, not a physical cross, but your purpose, and follow me. Follow movement, movement, movement. The servant. And then finally, the mentor. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Not go and be a disciple. Go and make disciples in all the world. Baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So discipleship, the complete picture, is Followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. That's when it's working. It's movement. It's movement. The true gospel of Jesus Christ includes all of this. But in America, we have dumbed it down by just simply removing these two chairs and especially this one. To where we make Christianity simply about believing in Jesus. Come down, say a prayer, sign a card, shake the pastor's hand, and then go back to business as usual. No life change, no calling, no difference. Just believing in Jesus. Fire insurance. Let me tell you the result of that The result of that is a watered-down version of the gospel that is powerless to really do anything strong in your life. That means if you have real issues and real problems, anybody, am I talking to anybody? Just just four of you? Oh, amazing. Well, then you all need to be preaching. If you have real issues and real problems and real temptations and real battles in your life and real people that you're trying to help, well, that version of the gospel is going to let you down. And the reason it's going to let you down is because it's incomplete. Look at the screen. Living a Christian life without discipleship is like living in a house without a roof. I tried to come up with the dumbest thing I could possibly think of. Can you just imagine walking through your new home and going, oh, look at the granite countertops. Oh, look at the wood. It's so beautiful. And the person you're showing is like, um, there's no roof. Oh, but it doesn't matter. Look at the granite There's the ship lap. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. <laughs> it's stupid because there's no shelter. There's no covering. And when we live our Christian life and only believe and don't move and don't grow and don't mature, our Christian life has no covering. It has no depth. It has nothing. We're, we're left out in the open. My goodness. We've, we've, we've got a, a house that uh, we bought last year, and it's got a room that I'm um, finally getting to turn into an office. I've never, in 25 years, of I've never had an office at home. I'm so excited. I'm like a little kid. And so I'm slowly getting pieces to put in that office. I bought an office chair. 
You can't buy furniture without it being in a box these days. Come on. What's the deal with that? You can't, I mean, unless you have a million dollars to spend, you cannot buy a piece of furniture unless it's in a box and you have to put it together. And y'all, I hate it. I hate putting furniture. I think these engineers sit around and be like, how can we make this as difficult and weird and awkward as, hey, hey, I know. Let's do three different size screws with three different Allen wrenches because we know one of them is going to get shoved up under the couch while they're trying to get the pieces and they're not going to know and they're going to lose their salvation and then they're going to, I mean, I wasn't talking about me. So I'm getting this thing and it, it slowly turns into a chair and I look over and I've still got 20 screws left. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I think this, it looks like a chair and I kind of, I'm like, you know what? I think I'll just give up. I think I'll, that's, it looks like a chair. I'm sitting on it. And then I was like, you know what? If I do that, as sure as I'm standing here, one of these days I'm going to sit on that chair and it's going to collapse on me. Well, that's what's going to happen to our faith and to our Christianity eventually if it is left incomplete. Amen. Our, our scripture today, our theme scripture for the whole series is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He says in James 3.13, if you are wise, we talked about that last week. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Everybody say prove it. Prove it by living an, living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Today we're going to focus on one of those good works that every follower of Jesus, every disciple is called to participate in. It's not an easy one. I'm just warning you. But it is beneficial to everyone involved and it will certainly grow our faith. Today we're going to talk about proving it through generosity. Prove it, proving it through generosity. Let's pray. Father, oh my goodness. Let's take a breath. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your glory, Lord. Thank you for the anointing that we sense during the worship, for what you're doing in this house. Lord, let us calm down and just receive your word today. Let it become prophetic and powerful and life-changing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start with 2 Corinthians 9.13. This is actually the last verse of our main text, so we're going to start here and then back up and then move back towards it again. 2 Corinthians 9.13, Paul says, As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. We're going to find out who they are in just a minute. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove, everybody say prove, prove prove that you are obedient to the good news or the gospel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. He says your generosity will prove your obedience. Your generosity will prove your obedience. Now, I don't want anybody to panic. We've already taken up the offering. We've already passed the buckets. Pastor Tyler has already talked about the We're not going to take up another offering. And if you're a guest here today, you need to know we're not that church, okay? And I'm not that kind of pastor. If you need to talk to one of our members, that's fine. This is not a topic that I actually, I'll tell you. It's not a comfortable topic. It's not, it's a sensitive area when we start talking about finances and money and giving. And it is so much so that I shy away from it way too much. I don't preach it enough because 
the, 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 Jesus and the apostles talk about it all the time. They talk about it all the time in the New Testament. And I don't talk about it enough. And it's not my comfort zone. This is not my wheelhouse. This is not where I was going with the message this week. I was going to preach Ephesians 4. For some reason, I've been trying to preach Ephesians 4 for like two series now. And every time I start, the, the Lord changes the message. I was, I was trying to preach. Maybe, maybe I'll get to preach that eventually. Y'all stay tuned. Ephesians 4. It's like, Lord, I know about this. But it, on Monday morning when I was began to study, I didn't have a peace. I couldn't get a peace. And the Lord began to shift very clearly towards this message of generosity. And let me just be totally vulnerable, and this is one of the reasons that I shy away from it, is because I'm not good at it. I'm not, this is not my, my natural gifting. This is not how I'm naturally wired. Here's your homework. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Romans 12, 6 through 8 is the list of God's motivational gifts that he gives to every single human who has ever lived. Christian or not Christian. He wires these gifts, these motivational gifts, into every single person. And giving is one of those. Every person in this room could share about one or two or three people that you know off the top of your head who are just naturally generous They are giving people. They may be Christians, they may not, but they are going to figure out a way to give. Whether they have a lot of money or they don't, it doesn't matter to them. They're going to figure out a way to give, even if it's just their time. They're going to figure out a way to be generous and to give. We've all seen that. You know what? They're probably the happiest people that you know because this principle works even outside of faith. It's amazing. Now, I'm wired to be a little more cautious, conservative, hold things a little bit closer to the chest. That's a nice way of saying I can be a tightwad. No amens from this section right over here. That's a nice way of saying that I have to fight intentionally, fight selfishness and self-preservation tendencies. Now, I know I'm the only one in the room. I know I'm the only one who has to deal with this. So, so I'm preaching this to remind myself how important generosity is. You're just along for the ride. I'm very sorry. I know none of you are like me. But here's the deal. Seriously. Just because I'm not gifted to give doesn't mean I'm not responsible for generosity in my life. Just because it's not my personality doesn't mean I'm not supposed to still be generous. We don't learn about our personalities in order to make excuses, David. We learn about them so we can improve our life and improve our behavior. I remember learning about tithing very little. I grew up in a Christian home, and I loved to mow the grass. Little boy, you know, mom mower, you know, we love that. I don't know what that was, I'm sorry. Um... (laughs) It's like a flashback to home improvement or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I learned to mow at a very young age. I can't imagine a yard being mowed by a six-year-old, but they let me do it. And eventually I got better and better. Like by eight years old, I was actually mowing the next door neighbor and then the next door. And, and I began to you know, get $5 here, $5. I can't, I'll never forget that first time I got over and I had made $5 for mowing the grass for something I did. I worked, and I got it. And my grandmother was visiting. And she said, oh, Alan, that's wonderful. You get 
to tithe 10% of that to the Lord. And I went, what do you mean? 50 cents. You get, you get to get. And I'm like, what? 50 cents? That's a lot. She, and she smiled and she said, I'll never forget it. She said, Alan, it's all his. It's all his. He just allows us to steward and take care of the other 90%. Um, and from that time on, I've been a tither. It's become, it's who I am. I wouldn't dream of making any money that I didn't tithe. Now, I want to go back to our scripture, but start at the beginning of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And let me give you some background. Evidently, there were some really, really needy believers in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem church. They didn't have enough resources, enough money, enough clothing, enough uh, even housing. And so that word gets back to the Apostle Paul, and he's like, hey, I know a church in Corinth. They've got a little more resources, and he asked them to step up and to take up an offering and to help them out. He's basically like, to whom much is given, much is required. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's what he's saying. So 2 Corinthians 9.1, Paul says, I really don't need to write you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. All right, so several things are happening in this opening passage. First of all, Paul is writing this, if you can't tell, almost tongue-in-cheek. He's really laying it on thick. He's complimenting them to the point, to the extent, that it's really leaving them no option but to give. Anybody know anybody like that? They're probably really good salesmen. Come on. It's like, did they just compliment thee? I'm reaching for my wallet. How, how is this working? I mean, they are good at it. This is what he's doing. Secondly, he makes a very good point about the previous offering that they had a year ago. He said their enthusiasm in giving inspired other churches, inspired other believers. So look at the screen. Generosity inspires generosity. Generosity inspires generosity. When we see somebody else sacrifice, When we see somebody else step up to the plate and sacrifice and give, it inspires us, doesn't it? We've all seen that. We've all experienced that. Well, you know what? Let it be said of New Life Church that we inspire generosity in this community. Let it be said of you and of me that we inspire giving in this community. Verse 3, Paul says, but I am sending these brothers to be sure. I'm sorry, this is funny to me. I'm just, just be sure you're really ready. He's like, I know you will, but I'm going to send these guys just to be sure. As I've been telling them that your money is all collected, I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. He's just laying it on. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all that I had told them. So now he shifts from compliments to just plain old shaming them into it. <laughs> Paul was a, he was something. Now, I'm not going to use that tactic today. I'm not as comfortable with this as he was, obviously. So don't, just relax. I'm not going to do that. Verse 5. So I thought I should send these brothers. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you remember Titus? He's got his own book. He was among these. I'm going to send these brothers ahead of me and make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want to make it, you to make it a willing gift. <laughs> He's like 
almost, you know, it's like, you're going to give, you're going to give, I know you're going to give, and then he's like, but I want it to be willing, and I want you to do it without a grudge. It's so funny to me. Just be glad, the next time you think I'm preaching too hard, just be glad the Apostle Paul is not your pastor, okay? (laughs) He was also very long-winded, very long. He preached one time in a third-story room so long there was a teenager sitting in the window. He fell asleep, he fell out, he died. Talk about throwing ice cold water on a sermon. Paul's like, okay. So he goes down, he lays hands on the kid, raises him from the dead. You would think that's a good benediction, okay? We're done. Shake hands, good night. Let's just, let's just leave. No, he goes up and continues to preach until the sun comes up. So just be thankful. But he makes a good point. Generosity comes from a willing heart. Generosity comes from a willing heart. Now, it's my turn to be blunt, okay? If you have to be begged every single time you give of your resources to a worthy cause, I'm talking, I'm not talking about charlatans out there, and they're out there. I'm talking about a worthy cause. If, if, if some natural disaster has to take place, or a tornado, or a hurricane, or something, you are, when you give to that, you're not being generous. You're simply responding to coercion. And it's not the same thing. Here's my advice, all right? If this is something that you really struggle with, and I'm preaching to myself, always do. If you really struggle with this, it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. Pastor, as soon as I get that new position, as soon as I get that promotion, I'm I'm going to do next level. As soon as I get that new, I'm going to start tithing. More money is not going to fix it. If you won't tithe on a hundred, you're not going to tithe on a thousand, and you're definitely not going to tithe on ten thousand. It's not a money issue. Y'all know I love you, right? I'm just. This is the truth. It's a heart issue. So pray. Number one, pray. Pray that God would soften your heart towards generosity. And you know that's a prayer that He will answer. Maybe faster than you would like. <laughs> But that, you can't stop with that. You've got to put some feet on it and then start practicing. I, I know how to play the piano, and I didn't learn how to play the piano by wanting to play the piano. I had to practice. I had to practice. I want to lose 30 pounds. <laughs> but that ain't going to happen. If I don't stop eating what I'm eating, right? Come on. You have to practice good health. If you are a gym person and you like to work out, I don't understand that. But anyway, um, (laughs) if if you like to work out, you know that if you want to get stronger, you've got to continue to lift the the weights. You've got to continue to to lift bigger weights as you go along or you're not ever going to get stronger. It's the same principle. You've got to practice generosity in order to improve. You've got to do that. Verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much. Everybody say how much. How much to give. 
And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, which is so funny, considering his earlier words. But for God loves, here's our scripture that Pastor Tyler quoted, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So two more key points in this section. First, generosity is a choice. Generosity is a choice. He says, you have to choose how much, not just how much, but if you're going to give. And then how much you're going to give. It's a spiritual exercise, yes, but when it comes down to it, we have to make the conscious decision about how much we are going to give and then physically write the check or physically go online or physically pull the cash out of our wallet and be obedient. The money is not going to supernaturally fly out of our bank account. Unless you do auto pay. He just said that, yeah, okay. That's not supernatural. It feels that way. Especially when you weren't expecting it. You're like, oh God, I forgot that. But you still, even with auto pay, you have to consciously go in and set that up, don't you? That's good. Thank you. Secondly, a generous attitude is more important than the amount given. A generous attitude is more important than the actual amount given. In other words, if right now your your margin is like zero (laughs) in your finances, for whatever reason, it could be your fault, it may not be your fault, but for whatever reason you're only to give just a little, little bit, you don't need to be embarrassed one bit. God is not looking at the amount, he's looking at how you give, not what you give. Somebody praise the Lord for that. Because God can just as easily multiply a little boy's lunch as he can an entire banquet feast. All right. Verse uh, 8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always be able to have everything you need, plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they, were sh- they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Anybody wants your deeds to be remembered? Something that is worth something beyond just a new toy? What? All right, all right, all right. Verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase. Somebody shout increase. Increase Increase your resources and then produce, I love this, produce a harvest of generosity in you. Everybody say in you. Now let's make it personal and say, in me. me. Hallelujah. Did you notice, though, that God is going to do this work of of grace and this this harvest in us as we step out and not before? What's the biggest hindrance? What's the biggest roadblock to generosity? Self, fear. It's not money, is it? I would say the biggest hindrance is faith. Trusting God that he's going to take care of your need, even though you're giving this. It's human nature, folks, to watch out for ourselves. It's a good thing we have that in us because that's why we're still alive. 
And we may hesitate to tithe or give in the offering because we are worried about having enough to meet our needs and the bills and all of those things that we have in our life to take care of our family. That is completely logical and it irritates me to no end to hear preachers talk about that, that not being logical. That is logical. We have to take care of our family. We have to be responsible and be good stewards of our finances to to pay our bills on time and to do all of those things. That is completely true. There's nothing more natural. Say natural. There's nothing more natural than having those hesitations. I have them all the time. I fight them all the time, as do you. But there is nothing wrong with having those natural feelings. But the, oh, you got to get this. The amazing thing about Christian generosity is that when we put our resources in the hand of God, we take them out of the natural and put them squarely into the supernatural. And then all bets are off. Now, I didn't, this is this morning, this next thing I'm going to say, so it's not on the screen, but you might want to write it down. Here's the deal. Here's what we do. All too often, we're praying for God to bless something that we won't even let him touch. Let me say it again. No, seriously. We have these financial woes and we, we all go through these seasons where there's not enough and all of this and, and it's, it's tough and, and, you know, how am I going to make this bill and whatever. And so we pray for God to bless our finances without letting him touch our finances. And it, folks, it doesn't work that way because it's, when we hold on to it, it stays in the natural. And so all of those laws are in effect. But when we take it out and put it into the hand of Jesus, we put it into the hand of the supernatural. And he's above all of that. I can't explain it to you, but it's real. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it all through the ministry. When we trust God with our finances and our resources and our giving, Scripture declares that he will take care of us. And it's the only place, like Pastor Tyler said, that we are challenged to test him in this. Hallelujah. Here's the point. Look at the screen. Our generosity must be fueled by faith. Fueled by faith. No matter what it looks like, we are obedient in this area. Fueled by faith. And as our faith in God increases, so goes our generosity. And as our generosity increases, so goes our faith. It works both ways. Verse 11. Y'all still with me? Y'all all right? Everybody still breathing? Everybody smile? All right. Never coming back here again. I knew you saw it. No, that's right. Verse 11. Thank you. Paul says, yes, you will be enriched. I didn't highlight that word because I missed it the first time around. You will be enriched. How many want to get enriched? And I know that word has rich in it. It's not where I'm going. Not where I'm going. You will be enriched in every way. In every way. It's not just a money thing, y'all. I started to be mean. All right. So that you can always be generous. Always be generous. See, God wants the giving train to continue. Because He is a generous God. For God so loved the world that He gave. He is a giving God. And so as we invest into the kingdom, He continues to put things back in our hand over and over and over again so that we can keep on giving and giving and giving. Come on, somebody. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. 
Hallelujah. Paul says, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And I'm going to add a third one that I think Paul would agree with. They're going to be blessed, yes. But as we give, God is going to do a work of grace in our heart. And God's going to touch us and grow us and stretch us in our faith. All right, so now we're back to the original verse that we started with, verse 13. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Folks, the ultimate thing that can be said of our generosity is our big idea. Generosity gives glory to God. Generosity gives glory to God. Everybody look at me. Living our lives for the glory of God is our highest purpose. It supersedes everything out there. Living our life, and that always includes generosity. It's our highest purpose. When we are sacrificial, when we give away precious things to us, things like time, and energy and resources and money, when we give these things that we have worked very hard to acquire. Come on, somebody. Money doesn't grow on trees. When we give those things that are precious to us away and we do it in Jesus' name, then God gets the glory. Come on. Generous people that aren't saved and aren't Christians, or some that are, they give away a lot of money, but they do it in their own name. And that's the, the word says, that's their reward. You know what? That keeps it in the natural. When we give, we need to give it always in the name of Jesus. In the name, and He gets the glory. And there is nothing better in this world than that. I heard a preacher say this recently, and I fully agree. In my experience, this has always proven true. When someone is dying and they're on their deathbed and they have time to talk and do deathbed confessions, they say things like, I wish I had spent more time with my family and not as much at at work. I wish I had gone to that place, that city. I wish I had taken that vacation. I wish that I had chased my dreams a little longer. I gave up too soon. I wish I had done this and done that, other things like that. But you know what? I've never heard, and I've never heard any preacher say that they've sat and listened to these. I've never heard anybody say, I wish I had not given as much away. Never. Not once. Often it's the opposite. I wish I had given more. I'm done. But if you feel this message today was meant to somehow manipulate you or shame you, into tithing or giving more to this church, you have missed me by a mile. And if you know me, you know that's true. If you're a guest here, you just got to trust me or talk to somebody around you after the service. I'm preaching this to myself. Remember, just as much as I am to you. So don't let the enemy fly in. Remember we talked about this the first week. Don't let the enemy come in and snatch this good word. 
from you because you're thinking thoughts like that. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say all preachers are alike. Every church is the same. All they want is your money. Are there charlatans out there? Absolutely. But don't let the enemy rob you of this because of those thoughts. Being generous is one of the most powerful ways. Listen, and I'm done. Being generous is one of the most powerful ways that we can prove to this world that we belong to God. Bow your heads, please.